Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. of the show for 2015 after a long hiatus we will be continuing what we started talking about last week which is all the pro-life events that are going on here and around st louis missouri and if you happen to live in the area within driving distance or even if you can travel i encourage you to get involved and we will be talking about that more we will also be replaying doug murky's interview about the life team summit uh, that's happening in a couple of Saturdays. It's going. It's still early, so that you can register if you want to attend. I will be replaying my interview with him, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but to start off the show like we normally do, the reason for being for True Life Fridays Radio comes from this verse in the Bible, and it says Deuteronomy 30, verse 19: This day. 
I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And we also open up with a short word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we pray for all the instances on this planet that we have to serve you and to stand up for life. We pray that we are able to articulate reasons why we ought to honor life and serve our fellow neighbors and to honor their lives and to realize that all our neighbors includes born and unborn alike, regardless of color, regardless of gender, regardless of anything. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. We are going to be talking about quite a few things. We have some headlines that I really want to get to, as well as announcements about uh, events happening. So we're going to get started and talk about some headlines, which have been, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Plaguing plaguing of the world. Hey, Thomas, how you doing? Hey, Letitia, sorry that took so long. You know, people and issues, issues and people. So I'm broadcasting live from McDonald's. So there you go. So it's all good, I'm man. Let, it's all good. I'm gonna let, <laughs> I'm gonna let you handle the headlines. I'm gonna go on mute and listen, and I'm gonna eat something because it'll be first time I eat today. So all right, we'll see you in a bit. All right. All right. So let's talk about something that has been. Uh, okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we are. Here we are. We have long on this show saying said it is just a matter of time before real life catches up to the pro-choice, pro-abortion argument uh, and tests the resolve of people defending those arguments in, um, in the real court of law and in the court of public opinion. So we saw this when... Uh, the the kidnapping case of what was his name? Um, the the sex trafficking nexus, the sex kidnapping of three women. Thank you. 
All right. I, all right. I should be on. I should be on now. All right. Hey, wonderful for BCR to come crashing down on us at such an inopportune time. So as I was saying, this story about Danelle Lane, uh, Danelle Lane cut a child, a, an unborn baby, out of her mother's womb. The mother's name is Michelle Wilkins. And as I was saying, this woman is not going to be prosecuted. She will not be prosecuted by by Colorado authorities for murder. Now, she might be prosecuted for stabbing the woman, for cutting her open, but she will not be charged with murder for the death of the baby. Funny how the media always characterizes an unborn child um, as a fetus when they are advocating, and yes, they are advocating for abortion on demand, but when it be, is a, when they're talking about a baby, they want to have lived. It's a baby. It's a baby. So, you know, a child who is exactly the same age in utero one is headed to an abortion clinic, is called just a fetus, and another that is headed toward the hospital for for birth anytime is called a baby. And that is the world post Roe v. Wade that we live in, folks. It's crazy, and it's inconsistent. But you know what? The Colorado prosecutor is acting very consistently. The law does not acknowledge the personhood of the unborn in the womb. And so this woman, Michelle Wilkins, God bless her heart, will not get justice for her unborn child who was ripped out of her body in an involuntary abortion. And that is the world of post Roe v. Wade, I am sorry to say. Now, my question for the world is how long are we going to endure this type of absolute, total insanity in our laws? On the one hand, we have the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. And the Unborn Victims of Violence Act is what convicted a man for slipping his girlfriend abortion pills when she was pregnant with their child. And subsequently the baby died. But at the same time, we cannot 
charge a woman who does so much worse and the baby dies. And this is because our laws about abortion are completely contradictory and insane. They're completely contradictory and insane because on the one hand, we are trying desperately, intuitively, and lawfully acknowledge the murder of an unborn child, but at the same time trying to preserve legal abortion. The two do not go together. It is a zero or a one. It is a black or a white issue. There is no gray area. I'm sorry for those who think there is. Seems like maybe the problem is not BTR. It is Skype. Wonderful. And that's another thing that needs to be fixed in this world, apparently. (laughs) So, um... Hey, Lord, Lord, I Lord, Lord, to... Yeah. But yeah, you are yes, um B- BTR is going in and out. You just you just um went black for about a 30 about a 15 block second and then came back on. So right. I missed a lot what you just said. Well, I had said part of the problem in this world is probably Skype, not BTR, because it keeps dropping my call. And <laughs> I don't know if it's Skype or if it's BTR. It's one or the other. Um, but moving on, uh, this, this, I think, this case, what we were talking about in Colorado, is going to bring a crisis of conscience. I pray, I hope, I beg the world to have a a crisis of conscience because even those that typically consider themselves pro-choice have a huge problem with not with Colorado deciding not to pursue a murder charge against uh, uh, what's her name? Dylan Lane. Danelle Lane. Because our intuitions just to start with, our intuitions say that this woman maliciously cut a baby away for, out of his mother's womb, her mother's womb. We don't know what the sex of the baby is. And deliberately caused the death of the child. It was completely deliberate. Now, it wasn't intentional. She may have, she may plead and say, I didn't intend to kill any child. But the law is strangely on her side, post Roe v. Wade. They cannot charge her, to be consistent, they're not going to charge her with murder, because a murder implies that a person has been murdered, has been killed. So I'm hoping that everybody will have a crisis of conscience about Roe v. Wade, and I see that the country is turning against Roe v. Wade a little bit more every day. If it weren't for the the uh, paint-soaked pants of feminists trying to keep the attention and the spotlight on their wants and desires, this issue would be very clearly seen. It isn't it isn't new that bleeding heart liberals and leftists want to cry victimhood to get themselves away from responsibility of committing all kinds of atrocities. 
think about what the what the argument was in in the World War Two in 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 Germany in World War Two where they had to scapegoat. They just had to scapegoat the Jews for the their the German economy being so horrible and being what it was. It's because qualitatively their lives were not as good as they would have been if all the Jews in Germany would just disappear. You have to understand. They had to rid themselves of a problem and exercise their autonomy to make their society what they saw was fit. Do you get it now? Do you get where this is going? It is exactly the same. And I defy anybody to tell me that it's different and explain why. Because you will lose every single time. The arguments supporting abortion are the same arguments supporting every type of atrocity that's ever been committed in known history. You cannot replay history and change all the names and fool everybody into thinking it's something different. You just can't because it isn't. But liberal pro-abortion leftist feminists want you to think it's totally different. And they they cry victim most of the time to try to get it, get their way. Now, second story. What? Let me give you an example of this. I just couldn't believe what I saw the other day, which is it's a children's book. Now, Thomas, did you hear about this? This children's book is called uh, "My Sister Is a Happy Ghost." No, oh, it's a book called. Sister Apple, Sister Pig, written by author Mary Walling Blackburn. It's called, now, wait, 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 what's it called? It's called Sister Apple, Sister Pig. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it gets, it. you know, if you think that's a weird title, the actual content of the book gets much, much worse. And it's written by a woman named Mary Walling Blackburn. And this is what she attempts to do with this book. The picture book tells the story of a little boy whose parents eventually uh, tell him that he had an aborted older sister. And what they apparently tell him is that she is a ghost. But not just a ghost. She could also be an apple or a pig. Um, the fa- and, and the apparently the father cautions him about um, the, the little boy from thinking about his sister as an apple in case they need to eat her. And the aborted baby, the aborted older sister, um, you know, is 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 now talked about in words from the little boy in the story. And he says that she's happy because she got aborted. Um, Now, how this person gets away with this is that they talk about, they talk about, um, I'm just checking to see whether I'm still on air because we've already been dropped twice. So uh, pardon for the hesitation. Um, Let me read a section from the story. Lee, the little boy, tells Papa, I'm not sad that my sister is a ghost. If you kept my sister, you would be tired and sad 
and mad. Why, wondered Papa. Because we would be wild and loud, and sometimes we would fight. Mama might be scared that she could not buy enough food for us. Mama might not have enough time to read to me, to paint with me, to play with me, to talk with me. And yes, that is an actual quotation from the book. The book is, okay, lest you think this is some kind of artificial story, you are right, because the author makes no excuses about how transparent she's trying to be in this book. This book is meant to be a slap in the face of all pro-lifers. It is meant, she intended it to be. She said explicitly that she's using this book to play chicken with pro-lifers. Okay, we will play then. Pro-lifers, white evangelical anti-choice people to be... (laughs) To be specific, well, let me tell you, okay, so now you know the book is so artificial. It is so artificial. Bruce Jenner's sex change is more likely to give him that second X chromosome before this story will ever accurately represent a child's perspective, even if that child knows about abortion. There is no way you can talk about death with a child to make a child understand that his dead sister is an apple or a pig, and that's okay. It's okay that parents ended the life of a sibling, period. There are no excuses that would make it okay in the child's mind. You cannot teach a child offhand to be so selfish to think that another sibling would cause a cause parents to be tired and sad and mad and that children just being children wild and loud and sometimes fighting i have more than one two i have more than one child they fight all the time and they are wild and loud would it be better if one of them dropped off the face of the earth? I don't know any parents who would, who in their right minds would think that, oh, unless you're a radical pro-abortion feminazi who is for death. But there's only one way you can teach there's only one way you can teach a culture to accept the unacceptable. And you have to start with a child's book, clever enough. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've Run got more. to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate, you've got to be carefully taught, you've got to be carefully taught.
that is the point of this child's storybook to start teaching people to tell their children that abortion is good, that aborted babies are happy little apples and happy little pigs. I don't have to tell anybody today what an absurd idea that is and utterly, utterly sick. Probably next year, if this keeps going on, I'll probably have to detail it in more be more emphasizing about that. But, you know, for today, I'm just going to pretend like everybody has a conscience and can see very plainly that this is this is a this is not a child's book. This is a poke in the eye of all that is sensible, right, and sane in the world. So, you know, of course, nobody wants to buy such a book, so the author is offering it up for free. Great. I don't really care about the cost involved. The greater offense here is that this author has engaged in a chicken fight, her words, not mine, that she can't possibly win. So, challenge accepted. You want to play chicken? We will play. Uh, The third thing I wanted to talk about was, um, well, let's skip all that. You know what? I I wanted to get back to the interview with Doug Murky from getintolife.org, Churches for Life, and I'm going to replay that interview. So we're going to take a a couple minutes break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to play his uh, interview because I want everybody to hear the full thing, and it's, it's really just a superb interview talking about Summit. If you haven't signed up, the information is going to be in the interview. Please don't don't turn off Blog Talk Radio, even if it drops you. Come back, and we will uh, play that interview. So I'm on the air with Doug Murky. He is from Churches for Life. And please tell us a little bit about what Churches for Life is, what do you do, and how Churches for Life is impacting the pro-life community. All right. Well, it's good to be here, Letitia. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, Churches for Life started in 2008 uh, for three around three central passions, which I think a lot of people in your audience can relate to, especially pastors. Uh, first passion is for the gospel itself, which we frame as a message of rescue. Uh, second passion is for the local church, seeing the local church strong and healthy. And third passion is to rescue people. So Churches for Life um, was launched to try to unite those three passions. In other words, to help local churches enjoy and live out the gospel to rescue people. And um, our unique focus is in connecting those three things to guard us against what, you know, typically turns off a lot of pastors or makes makes life ministry very difficult in churches. Because uh, a lot of times in churches we experience and see that uh, the life issue is connected primarily to politics or anger or activism yes. or um, or even just a single facet issue like anti-abortion or ending abortion. And so by taking the perspective of those three passions, the gospel, the local church, and rescuing people, 
we we think we focus churches in a more probably healthy, uh, holistic way, and uh, it starts. It all starts with uh, the basic and main idea that unites churches and compels us that's uniquely Christian, and that is the gospel. And again, we would we would just uh, uh, basically uh, promote and assume that the gospel is the most powerful, life-affirming message in the universe. It's my friend Dr. Lamb at Lutherans for Life likes to say that, and uh, I agree with him. And so when we think about life issues, we bring it back to the gospel and say, well, why are we life-affirming? Well, yeah, I mean, babies are being harmed and even killed and others are being harmed and uh in various ways but the main reason that as christians we pursue a life affirming uh road is because we were in peril because of our sin and jesus christ in his great mercy and love in the gospel sought us to rescue us and when the human heart is captivated with the beauty of god as he reveals himself in the gospel, we're then motivated to live that out with joy and gratitude toward all kinds of people that are in peril, not just the unborn. And that leads to a a clean, a humble, not an angry or arrogant, but a humble, clean, joyful, and consistent motive for us in ministry. So that's our unique approach to equipping churches, uh, kind of the underlying philosophy of it. Mm-hmm. Our ministry is a national ministry. Uh, we're headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, but uh, we we have lo- uh, ministry in all kinds of states across the country, and we continue to expand. The way that we expand and the way that we equip churches, I share the phil- philosophy underneath it, but the way we equip churches is we help them build what we call a life team, a life team. And a life team is like any other trusted ministry team in a church. Uh, Think, for example, of a missions team or a servant team or a mercy team or the children's ministry team. You know, these teams uh, have a lot of things in common, and one of the main things is they're trusted. They're a group of people in a church that are trusted. They have the support of the church leaders because they're trusted. Oftentimes, they're also resourced. They're given a budget. They're given the freedom and flexibility to equip and serve their church in their area of ministry. So our contention is is that anything of lasting value that happens in a church requires a team of people that are trusted and trained and resourced. Often when we run into uh, life-affirming people in churches, they're just kind of lone rangers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't even have a very good relationship with their pastor or their leaders. And this can be hard for pastors because pastors encounter these people and uh, they can understandably at times, not always, not always, but understandably at times be hesitant to give that person um, exposure or give them the microphone. So that's a problem that a life team is designed to solve because life teams, what we do is we actually train people to be on a team called a life team. We actually train a life team leader. And in so doing, we help a church build a ministry team uh, that's called a life team. Now, that life team then, now that they have the trust of the pastoral leadership, uh, are able to carefully, over the long term, 
equip that church to enjoy and express the gospel in the life arena. This is typically a huge, huge relief and joy for pastors because um, the pastor now has a team of people he trusts to serve him and the church in ministry. Again, another reason a lot of pastors shy away from life issues is not only the polarizing nature of life issues or the uh, scary nature of people sometimes at work in the life arena, but the uh, benefit of a life team is that here's a group of people that uh, serves the pastor. The pastor no longer has to carry the entire burden for championing life in his church. Sometimes I find that a scenario like this. Let's say you have a pastor who's very uh, enthusiastic about life, the life issue, and all of its facets. Let's just say that pastor wants to preach a sermon applying the gospel uh, to abortion and to men and women who've had an abortion in the congregation. And because uh, the gospel is the, is the message of healing and forgiveness for anyone who's had an abortion. But that pastor might be hesitant to preach that sermon because if he is all by himself Mm. and he preaches that sermon and it just so happens that the Holy Spirit shows up on Sunday morning, actually shows up and attends to his sermon. And this pastor's preaching and let's just say 30 women and men in the congregation are convicted. They've had abortions or known someone that has an abortion And so now that pastor is going to face up to 30 phone calls waiting for him or emails on Monday morning. And he will be completely overwhelmed to try to minister the gospel to those hurting people. So you could understand why a pastor might be hesitant to preach because he's all by himself. He has no help. But a life team solves that problem. A life team helps the pastor, gives the pastor freedom to preach and lead the way he's been called to lead because the life team exists to support the pastor. For example, in that scenario, a life team might work with the pastor before that sermon, and the life team might work it out to have a a confidential phone number printed in the bulletin. The life team might work it out to organize and have a man or a woman give a testimony in worship that day, someone who's had an abortion and has experienced the healing of the gospel. So in these ways, a life team helps support the pastor in the church. And when churches have healthy life teams, it is amazing what churches do and how they're equipped to enjoy and live out the gospel in all kinds of ways in the life arena. So if you go to our website at getintolife.org, there's really, really simple ways to find out how a church can get started exploring what this thing called a life team is it's a new-ish concept it's not a concept you hear about a lot so our website is brand new actually and it's been redesigned to make that really simple to ask and find the answer to the question huh what is a life team that's very interesting how do i get started what does it look like so get into life is our website great um, I'm very encouraged to hear that um, so much attention has been paid to answering um, the difficulties or addressing the difficulties pastors have and sometimes the difficult relationship between pastors and their church members and trying to smooth that out and looking for peace and bringing people together. 
Um, I have one more difficult question for you on that line, which is how do you handle the thought that as Christians, as Christians in particular, we shouldn't tell others what to believe or how to live outside of believe in Jesus or the gospel message. And they do mean particularly, let's not talk about abortion. We can't convince people uh, to take up a more life-affirming cause until they become believers in Jesus. Yeah, I, if I understand your question correctly, it's it has to do with, you know, should, do we have a role and should we uh, speak into the public square about the truth, God's truth for life? Should we do that or not? Yeah, if so, how absolutely. do we do it? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question, and I think it's a hard question only because uh, the way that Christians at times in the past have spoken into the public square has maybe been less than ideal. Mm. But um, there's a there's one Latin phrase I learned in seminary which I really love. It's uh, abusus non tollet usum, which means uh, improper use or abuse does not forbid proper use. And for example, on um, on TV we see men and women maligning the Bible all the time, right? Sure. We see them, they see them preaching using it incorrectly. Yes. But but I haven't thrown my Bible out. In other words, the abuse of the Bible does not keep me from properly using the Bible. So I guess I'd encourage listeners um, with the idea that uh, irregardless of the public's response, we have a, um, a responsibility and actually a privilege to continue to shine God's light into the public square. And one of the things that helps us do that well is when we are subdued ourselves by the gospel and we contemplate how God shares his truth with us. And when we stop and consider that just for a moment, we realize a few things immediately, a few wonderful things. One is, is that for we Christians, we realize that God did share his truth with us. Mm -hmm. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. That he wasn't, he wasn't silent. He did reveal truth to us. But then when we, we think more deeply about it, we realize how gentle and kind and condescending and patient and sweet God has been and still is in sharing his truth with us. God does not hit us in the head with a two-by-four. He does bring conviction, that's for sure. But when you think about how slow, how much God slowed down how small God made himself in mm. becoming a man, that that helps us think through how we then, uh, filled with gratitude for what God's done, how we share the truth with others. So to me, again, it brings it back to the gospel. The obvious answer to sharing the truth in the public square is, sure, yeah, no doubt, absolutely, we must share the truth, a God's truth, with our culture about life and many other things. I think maybe the deeper and probably more important question is, how do we do that? And in my mind, the gospel and our captivation with the God who came to us in the gospel, that's what changes the whole scene on how we share it, share truth with others. Awesome. Which yeah. segues perfectly into uh, talking about the event that you have coming up on April 11th. Tell us what that is and what you'll be talking about during that event. 
Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, in a nutshell, it's called the Summit, and it is basically inspiration and information for anyone who champions the sanctity of human life. And one of the driving reasons behind this summit is the recognition that to champion life, to speak the truth of God carefully and graciously in our churches and in our culture, that's tough. I mean, it it's hard to do that, <laughs> even if you do it well. Yes. And uh, you get weary, and it's tiring. And uh, this is no shock and surprise. It's normal. So the summit, uh, in one for one reason we launched the summit, is because we want people to be refreshed and rejuvenated and uh, to get rejuvenated in a number of ways, first of all, and primarily by being reminded who God is and what he's like toward us in the gospel. A lot of times in the life arena, we get so fixated on um, the score. Are we winning? Are we losing? Are we gaining ground? Are we losing ground? And certainly those are those. there's importance in keeping track of that. However, for us as Christians, the supreme and transcendent truth that should be regulating the joy of our hearts is really one thing and one thing only, and it's not our results. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Amen. that he has paid the penalty for our sin and declared us righteous in Christ. And that is a main message at the summit to remind us that, hey, yes, we want to we want to gain ground. We want to accomplish things. However, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that our value as persons, that the joy of our hearts depends on results. Let's revisit this gospel and reconnect with who God says that we are, irregardless of our results and performance, who he says we are based on his performance for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So that's one of the main purposes of the summit. Now, another main purpose is just to give uh, champions of life some expert information and guidance in how they can equip their churches in the life arena. Now, again, these workshops and uh, the, the elements of the summit are not so much built around how do we speak into the public square, because our ministry, Churches for Life, is built around how to train Christians to speak into and to train other Christians, namely their churches. And so the Life Team Summit covers a number of topics. We have a bunch of wonderful expert speakers coming in to help train us. Hey, here's here's some ways that you can equip people in your church to champion life. The unique audience here being people in your church. So we have a holistic view of uh, life. We, our view is, is that when, when, uh, when and wherever anybody, any human being is being abused or uh, put in peril or is being made vulnerable, that that's something that the gospel addresses. And, of course, one of the main categories of people that fit that description are the unborn. No doubt about it. Right. So we have a we have a workshop. Dr. Gibbs, a good friend from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, is um, going to talk about how do we make train people in our churches to make abortion unthinkable. And that's an apologetics course. It, it originates with a, a group called Stand to Reason. And Jeff Barrows 
and acknowledges the value of some of those principles from that apologetics class. I'm going to do a leadership tune-up. Um, so if you're a leader in the life arena or you interested in being a leader, um, very, very important how we lead and how we do that in the joy of the gospel. So that's a leadership tune-up. And that's that's so important, Letitia, I think, for, for our audience to understand is that leadership is the critical is the critical aspect in really most things and in this case in the battle for life right and and by for leaders you mean pastors ministry leaders church Correct. leaders okay yeah. great anyone anyone who's a leader because again our ministry is a team and leader training ministry so i'm going to be doing that uh we'll have someone talk about how to how to help your church end sex trafficking and uh, this person is uh, someone who works with an agency here in St. Louis, and this is all that they do. They work in this area of life. And we're including that this year in the summit because, again, uh, when men and women, especially women, are uh, kind of trapped in a sex trafficking situation, it's the degradation of humanity, it's the degradation and the putting people in peril in any number of ways. Of course, it can lead to death, but even if it does not lead to death, it is uh, it is just an awful, a horrible slight and slander against the beauty of God in the image of man. Exactly. And so that's why that's included here. Um, we have another couple, a person doing a special workshop on how to help students especially high school and middle school students, how can we help them to begin in our churches, youth group students, for example, how can we help them to begin to think about the gospel and how it applies to life, life issues, everything from sexuality to pregnancy to abortion to pornography, all those kinds of things. Students face unique pressures, and this workshop's designed to address that. That's we have fabulous. someone from... That's, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear that because we have, you know, youth programs and youth groups in so many churches, and um, yet the teenage problem of um, teenage pregnancy, you know, while abortions nationwide have gone down, the pregnancy rate actually hasn't changed all that much. Right. And um, and I would love to see what's missing. What I felt is missing is a is a core ethic that teenagers can understand about why, um, you know, reproduction happens, not on a biological level, but why they ought to look at this as something that needs to be confined to the context of marriage. And that, mm. um, that it's, aside from saying they need to wait, um, they need to move toward being married people, adults, before they engage in in sex so that it can be fulfilling for them, not just uh, as an activity that they need to skirt around their parents from, you know. Right. Yep. Amen. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what really excites me about that workshop, too, is uh, our own staff person, Dr. Faust, um, who's worked as a principal in, in public high schools most of her life, and she's fantastic, but the the real unique thing about that workshop is to expose people in the workshop to how they can equip students in the joy of the gospel. So much of how we equip students 
is law-based or fear-based. Mm. Like, don't have sex because you might get an STD. Right. Well, that's true. But the problem biblically with that is the law has no power. There's no power in the law to change the heart. And only the gospel can change a student's heart. What we want is we want students joyfully from the heart, not just because of fear, but from the heart to uh, serve Christ and live holy lives. Amen. And this workshop is going to focus on how do we actually mentor students in that way, not in a law, law legalistic way. So I'm very excited about that. Um, couple other things we have uh yes. we have we have an expert from johnny and friends you know johnny erickson tata her ministry Very uh nice. judy redlake from here in st louis who runs this regional office is going to come and talk about how can your church think through a disability ministry and honoring those with special needs and again this is another um beauty of god in the image of man kind of a thing because if we have someone with special needs in our church uh, who may not necessarily be in danger of forced death like an unborn child, nonetheless, um, that person bears the image of God. And how we treat that person and dignify them says a lot about and informs how we might also treat an unborn child who bears the image of God. That's right. And a lot of, yeah, so I'm very excited. Judy is fantastic at this. I mean, just great. So we've handpicked a lot of people to do these these workshops. We have someone coming in from Bethany Christian Services to talk about what they call safe uh, families, and that's training people in your church and helping them get certified so that, let's just say, a mother um, is in prison, mm. and not only that, she's addicted to drugs, and she's pregnant. She has a baby. Right. And, and through safe families, that baby can be placed with a, a family in your congregation while um, that woman, Lord willing, uh, becomes stable or a stable family situation is discovered for her to be placed in, that, that baby. So that's a wonderful way to dignify people. We have uh, two people coming to talk about how to care for older adults and dignify them in our church. You know, again, our culture is increasingly uh, devaluing older adults in our country. Yeah. And, you know, um, I know that euthanasia is illegal in all 50 states at this moment, but I, I, I don't think I'm being melodramatic when I say that it's very, it's very likely that euthanasia will be entertained in yeah. our country. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the not-too-distant future. And we're already seeing, you know, how older adults are not dignified uh, in many, many different ways. So yeah. we, have two, we have two people doing a workshop on, on that. How can our churches, I mean, if we're not dignifying older adults in our churches, why in the world should the culture do so? That's correct. Um, and I, so, I, I, can't emphasize, I can't be more emphatic in agreeing with you there you know even in my own life with uh, the death of my father uh, there were several conversations that were that doctors had with my mother encouraging her to uh, sign off on on decent care for him to allow him to die you know without any medical care 
just because they thought that um, his quality, and it's talked about a lot this way, the quality of life um, issue comes up and they say that, you know, he can't function as well as they would not like him to with the kind of care that they would give him. So it would be better to withdraw all care and his life early and everybody can move on. And I have a, a friend who works in a hospital, and she is uh, very aware of this. She says it ha happens more frequently than we'd like to acknowledge. And it is a it is a growing problem, especially in people, you know, in churches where there are, is an aging population. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And the big question that hangs over that reality is where are people in our culture going to get good answers to these very difficult questions that you face with your dad. Right. Like, where do you go? And the, the truth is, in my experience, most people turn to their doctor. And if you happen to have a Christian doctor who's thought deeply about these things, you might get some good biblical uh, counsel. But if not, shouldn't maybe the, the local church be addressing some of these things? So this workshop is going to be led by two people um, who've got lots of personal experience like you have Letitia I'm, I'm sorry about your you know what you shared but people who've had um, loved ones recently who've had to walk through the end of life with them we also have a hospice uh, a hospice nurse who's going to come and inform that conversation as well so a lot of great experience from a Christian perspective um, I'll do another workshop as well on just how to keep how to keep a, a life ministry healthy in your church. Again, this comes back to our core contention, which is if we want to see churches holistically life affirming, consistently life affirming, we need these teams in churches. We need them to be healthy. Um, yes, we need life affirming pastors, but pastors who are listening to this this uh, conversation right now please be encouraged to send people please come yourself you'll no doubt be encouraged and inspired but bring people who you think might be interested uh, and you might want to encourage to start forming a life team in your church we're not going to talk about how to start a life team in the summit but it'll be a good introduction you'll meet wonderful people who are on life teams and uh, you'll start to hear a little more and get some more information on how to begin that journey yourself. So there's also breakfast and lunch. There's gluten-free food, lots of fellowship. Wonderful. And it's, it's a streamlined day. It starts at 8 a.m. on Saturday, April 11th, and it ends at 1 p.m. So it's not an all-day commitment. It's going to be a great time. And um, maybe most importantly... I want to encourage uh, everyone to sign up by April 1st because it's 50% off the registration fee. So please sign up at getintolife.org uh, by April 1st to save 50% on the registration for the workshop. The workshop is on April 11th. That's a Saturday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. in St. Louis, Missouri. Awesome. Very nice. Um, so... You kind of went over a little bit about who's speaking and who they're addressing, but can you tell us a little bit more about who can attend, who should attend, and how are attendees going to uh, walk away benefiting from having attended? 
Yeah, good question. So the summit uh, is, we say, for anyone who wants to champion life, but in particular people who have a who have a passion and a yearning to see their church become better equipped. So we obviously want the culture to affirm life, right? We do. Absolutely. But as as Christians, uh, we should have a unique yearning to see the people of God equipped and radiating life. (laughs) So anybody who has that kind of a passion to champion life, but in particular to see their own local church or churches around them engaged in championing life, this summit is for you. And I know as I say and describe that person, I know that that's, that's probably every single pastor listening to this this call, uh, because every pastor entered ministry because they want to see uh, the people of God enjoying God, enjoying the gospel, and just radiating uh, who he is, his truth, his grace to people around them. So this summit is for anybody like that, and that includes, obviously, pastors and ministry leaders. It includes lay people, men and women, of really any age. Uh, We even sometimes have some teenagers that come to this summit. It's mostly adults, but uh, if you have little or no experience or a lot of experience in the life arena, this is for you. Um, If you're on a life team or don't have a life team or never heard of a life team, it's for you. If you serve in a large church or a small church, it's for you. If you serve in a church in the country or the city, it's for you. Um, Whatever denomination you are, it's for you. It's for anybody who wants to champion life and especially see their church equipped to champion life in the beauty of the gospel. Very nice. And the website to find out more information and to register again is? It is getintolife.org. Getintolife.org. Very nice. And register by April 1st to get the early bird discount. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, thank you, Doug, for joining us today and telling us all about that. I can't find any reason why anybody shouldn't come, and I am more than happy to attend myself. And because I came last year, and it was a blessing more than I could, uh, more than I can uh, describe in words. It was a blessing, and I'm sure it will be for anyone else who comes too. So I highly encourage everybody to get in and get in before April 1st, and uh, come join us. Yes. Awesome. Yes, please come. Thank you, Letitia. I look forward to seeing you uh, soon. Yes, I do too. <laughs> seeing you, I mean. <laughs> um, That's Awesome. So thank you so much for telling us about that. And um, Doug Murky is is going to be a frequent guest on True Life Fridays Radio. We are so pleased to have him. And thank you again for this information. We will talk to you the next time. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will, too. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. 
welcome back to True Life Fridays Radio. That was a great interview with Doug Murky from Churches for Life. And we are going to wrap up this installment of True Life Fridays by talking about our favorite things, which is the stupidest thing ever. Are you ready? Are you ready? Stupidest thing ever for the week is, but it up, you will never guess what Hillary Clinton supporters will do to try to get elected. As if, you know, I wouldn't have Okay, she elected a senator with zero experience. Why not a woman with also zero experience? But here are the words Hillary supporters will not allow the media to say about her from here on out. Uh, kiss my butt, probably not one of them. No, it's not. But here is the word. You were never going to believe this. You cannot say things about Hillary Clinton like polarizing. She's polarizing because polarizing is such a sexist word. Calculating, disingenuous, insincere, ambitious, inevitable. You can't say inevitable. Now, we're going to come back to that one because uh, that's an interesting one. You can't say entitled. You can't say overconfident, secretive, do anything to win. That's technically more than one word, but you can't say do anything to win. Represents the past. Also, not just one word. And out of touch. A third statement that's not just one word. So, Thomas. What do you think about that? And I think I lost Thomas. <laughs> well, okay. If we can't say polarizing, calculating, disingenuous, and sincere, ambitious, inevitable, entitled, overconfident, secretive, do anything to win, represents the past, out of touch about Hillary Clinton, what can we say? What's not on the list? Hmm. Okay. Divisive, conniving, evasive, lying, ruthless, trumped by race in 2008, self-serving, haughty, shady, capy in the knees, old fuddy-duddy. I don't think any of those are quite so sexist either. I agree. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the stupidest thing ever for this week. I hope you have enjoyed our show today. Sorry for the technical difficulties. We will try to get those ironed out as only uh, Blog Talk Radio can handle. <clears throat> so uh, join us again next week for another True Life Fridays Radio. We will have the headlines for you. We will have the perspective that you need to know about pro-life issues. We are going to talk about more events that are happening in, uh, in and around St. Louis over the couple of weeks. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow I will be attending the Nexus Pro-Life Conference that is here in St. Louis. Uh, I will probably be live tweeting and or live Facebook updating about that event. Uh, We did not get a chance to talk about it last week, which I wanted to, but... um, And it's too close to have talked about it this week, but I will see whoever will be there will be there. It's going to be an awesome time. We're going to grab some guests from the conference to be on our show in future weeks. So please, stay with us, stay listening, 
stay educated. Have a good night, folks. And great time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Button didn't hit. Have a good night, folks.
I can hear that you're calling me to be 